0: Welcome to episode 30 of Chin Music, a podcast presented by Fangraphs in Hartley Cloudy, DeKalb, Illinois. I'm Kevin Goldstein and joining me in the co-host chair this week from what I'm sure is just blistering hot, Arizona. It's Eric Long and Aaron, what's what's the temperature there? It is blazing. It's a, it's 104, but the real feel is
1: 111 um, at you know 1130 a.m. local time, basically. So it's the, the monsoon is over. And those days where we have, like, a mix of clouds, and it's raining, and even though it's in the upper 90s, like, it is totally livable, uh, that seems to have ended, and now we're going to have this stretch of unadulterated sun for the next little bit, and I just hope that the the temps start to get back to, to normal here, uh, right as complex level ball ends, the temps will <laughs> dip
0: into something livable, I'm sure. Well, for the complex teams that play at night, like, when, when first pitch starts at, at- you know, six or seven. What's the temperature?
1: Uh, On the hot days like this, we our temps will peak in the late afternoon. until you will have first pitch start times of like 106, 107 degrees. No bueno. It, it's not great. And there are some of the stadiums are big enough where the sun is an issue. Uh, we have had, I think, three kids that I know of collapse with heat exhaustion at some point during the course of the year. mm uh, Carlos Santiago, who's an interesting uh, Dodgers prospect, was not released from the hospital for several days after collapsing. Uh, Some of the teams, despite this, have continued to play day games for whatever reason, especially the Angels. There are rumors about... um, about Artie Moreno not wanting to pay light bills or get lights up to code or something like that. Jesus. And so the Angels are playing during the day here. That may be apocryphal. I don't know. Uh, so allegedly, allegedly, uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's very litigious because he's an asshole, which is an opinion, so you can't sue me for that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it can still be a problem. They moved the games from 7 up to 6. Uh, there's like a new group of people running the AZ- ACL um, from Florida who apparently, you know, I've heard some not nice things about, but Baseball is baseball. I wish there were playoffs this year. One of the cool things about the complex level is that you have these really young, mostly Dominican kids, like, playing for an actual ring. Right. And it's really cool when things get cranked up in the playoffs. And they some of the kids have a different gear competitively. The energy in the dugout hits a different gear.
0: And uh, I don't think we're going to have that this year. I think we're just going to have a regular season and done. That's too bad. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, you know, I Obviously, I've been to a lot of parks there, and I was just thinking about how poorly aligned like Camelback is, and then you're just baking no matter what, almost in, in a day game.
1: Do you know the story about that?
0: I don't. Is there a story behind that? I've always complained about this because, like, most stadiums, as I mean, you you know better than I do, but um, I've been to most of them, if not all, um, are aligned at some point where there's a spot in the shade. You know what I mean? Like, you can get and Camelback is just. Just bakes. What's the story? There there is no spot in the shade.
1: Most, yeah, all baseball stadiums across the country, really, for like the most part, are built oriented towards like north, northeast, basically. Uh, Jamie McCourt wanted a different view from the owner's box at Camelback Ranch. And so when like the Dodgers and White Sox built the facility together, the stadium was built facing a certain way so that she could have that view. And it means that, yeah, during the day. It's the nickname among scouts who see Fall League and stuff at uh, at Camelback in Glendale is that it's Melanoma Ranch.
0: Because,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just nowhere to hide there. You have to really yeah. be way, way up towards the concourse if you're going to find any kind of shade at all. Uh, it's not. Uh, the Dodgers and White Sox both play complex level ball on their respective backfields, so they're not using the stadium for uh, the complex level ball, which is a whole nother issue, that like the, we have these giant spring training stadiums in Arizona and some of them like barely get used, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, thankfully they they both play on the backfield where there's more shade than in the stadium. So thanks, Jamie McCourt.
0: <laughs> so, uh, we're gonna talk about baseball stuff. Uh, our special guest this week will be Liz Rocher uh from yahoo sports who uh was previously with uh phillies blogger and then still talks about the phillies on our podcast and we'll discuss um the frustration that is being a phillies fan in 2021 uh we'll get into our musical guest we're playing black metal this week folks it's a dark show uh and scalder uh we'll read your emails moment of culture all that good stuff and and then we'll be out of here and then you can move on with your life uh Baseball got fun this week eric you know we talked last week uh, about how so many teams were kind of out of it it seemed like so many things were set and that's still the case in some ways you know obviously they're you know both central divisions seem like a done deal yeah. um, you know the the American League West seems like a done deal um, but things got kind of tightened up and, and things got interesting and 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 um, you know one of the American League of the national League the national League I don't know I felt and I got it wrong but I felt like this weekend or last weekend's Dodgers Giants series was going to be where kind of the script flips, like the, the the Dodgers have been creeping up and they kind of, they went into it even. And, and it was like, this is, this is where it happens. And, and the Giants little cute run ends and the Dodgers will start to slowly pull away. And and instead that hasn't happened. And the, the Giants played very well, continue to play very well. The Dodgers continue to be just okay. And, 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 you know, they have a two game lead here on Thursday afternoon. Um, This one's going to go the whole way out, isn't it?
1: I think so. Um, I I certainly – I still agree with you, though, that when you really line these teams up, that the the Dodgers feel like a juggernaut and the Giants feel like a team that has benefited from better-than-average health during the course of the year uh, in a way that, like, a lot of the other contending NL teams have not. um, Alex Wood has COVID right now, and – that's like a significant blow to this rotation. Um, other than that, Johnny Cueto is really the only guy who it seemed like they were going to count on who has been hurt a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, I think that you know, when I still line those two teams up, I prefer the Dodgers, and it's
0: pretty clean the way I prefer the Dodgers. Um, yeah, but, I, but at a certain keep point, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, 140 games of the season, you can't call the Giants. Surprising, surprising anymore? Overachievers like this, just yeah. I think they're just really this good, right?
1: I think Buster Posey's really this good, and Brandon Crawford is really this good, and I think some of the other stuff is like, look, they platoon well, and they're greater than the sum of their parts uh, offensively because of how the pieces that they've put together um, and, how, and
0: how they utilize them.
1: But really, when but you know Kevin gaussman it's two really good pitches, but like it is two pitches, and against playoff caliber lineup i think there's diminishing utility there and then after that logan webb like he's been amazing i know he's been good but like logan webb and then he's like it's thin at some point it gets thin where tony gonsolin's coming back clayton kershaw's coming back you know like that i i think that there's i still think that the dodgers will win this division is what i'm saying but the giants aren't
0: slouches no, not at all, and um, I, I think it's just gonna be fun all the way out. And and kind of the almost more interesting is happening in the American League East, where you have a, a a fight for the division that might not be a fight anymore, as Tampa is up nine games on on Boston, but like this fight for the wild card has compressed with. Um, you know, Boston playing okay and, and surprisingly well through their, their, their COVID outbreak. And, you know, they've won 5 out of 10, which is probably better than they should have done. playing You know, they're running out basically a A team half the nights. Um, the Yankees have lost 9 of 11. The Blue Jays have won 7 in a row. And all of a sudden, that's a lot of fun. Like, all, all three of those teams have significant chances. And, and obviously, only one or two is going to get in. Um you know, the Blue Jays are the, the hotness of the moment, but they're still behind yeah. both the Red Sox and the Yankees. Um, their offense at times can be a juggernaut when it all lines up. And, and if Springer can be healthy, it'll be even more so. Um, I, I, you know, I, I see this and I, I think like the Blue Jays are the most dangerous team, but they still have room. They have been unfortunately They have room to make up that the, the Yankees and the Red Sox don't.
1: What is it about Robbie Ray that is different
0: this year than before? Strikes. I mean, it's 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 not complicated. It's not complicated at all, and and I'm I'm not sure what the Jays and or Robbie Ray have figured out, but they definitely figured out something, and he made some sort of of uh, adjustment or alteration to what he does that is, um, both significant and at this point, you know, now that he's you know approaching thirty starts in the year, and and I, last I looked, actually led the American League in innings, um, like his walk rate is uh less than half of what it has been historically um you know he's walking like two point something per nine innings and and you know was previously a guy who would be in the four five to six range and he's gone from this stuff's always been great you know that Uh, but he's gone from a guy with with killer stuff and 40 command to a guy with killer stuff and 55 60 command and and that's kind of what has made him so scary and and a legitimate Cy Young contender if you're lining up
1: playoff rotations from this group of like AL wildcard contenders, even even if you lump the Rays into this, like what the Jays roll out there, it's pretty good. It looks pretty good compared to you know the Rays with no glass. Now it's like, all right, Patino, you could I could see Patino shoving, but he's been inconsistent and young. Drew Rasmussen and Shane McClanahan are like five and dive ish. Uh, the, it's, I mean, the, so is Patino at that, you know, right. The rays seem to have built themselves to withstand the, the, you know, they, they had the pitching depth that they needed when all of these guys got hurt and the list of dudes who have gotten hurt for them is very long. Um, but when push comes to shove in the playoffs, I think I'll take Ryu and Barrios and Manoa and Ray over the Ray's arms that we just talked about Um you know, after Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery has been good. Jamison Tyon's been better more late than, than to, you know, yeah, like, he, he, had had no he was good. Yeah. But, like, again, like, other than Garrett Cole, I think, like, starter for starter, that Blue Jays group looks pretty good. Uh, and Steven Matz has been shockingly solid this year. They just have done, the Blue Jays have kind of done what the Giants have done. With their position players, where when these other talented guys run cold and fall off their roster, either because of injury or poor performance, that they've kind of like scooped them up and taken chances on them, and a lot of them have panned out. So Robbie Ray was a distressed asset; they got him from the Diamondbacks for like next to nothing, and all of a sudden he's quite good. Stephen Matz, same thing. Like Stephen Matz was very talented and frustrating, and. Right now, he's just talented. So, um, how about the the Bo Sox rotation though? Do you think in the playoffs, like Tanner Houck has been up and down uh, this season, just because he has options left? Do you think he is just a part of the Red Sox playoff rotation that that you know, with Sale, Rodriguez, Evaldi, and then presumably Houck? Like, that's a pretty good group too.
0: It is a pretty good group, but I wonder if they would um, drop Erod out and go with three. Um, and see what happens. And um, I actually read about the Rays today at Fangraphs and and their, their chances of getting through playoff games with bullpen games and, and how, and I went to the writing a piece about how this isn't going to work. And, and I, my, after looking closer at the data, my answer is, well, this might work Um, because what they do is kind of incredible um, on both a, a performance level and kind of, uh, and I wrote it like a cultural level of having so many arms who are flexible in their role, which is not common in baseball. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I, mean, I think the Rays would roll out, you know, sale evaldi and how is who's who they should roll out, um, and, and, and go from there and, and, and use Rodriguez in bulk if they need it. And then we haven't touched on the AL West teams. I, I think, should, you know, what, should we at this point, like this feels, you know, it, it, it you know, if, if you look at, 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 the, the the playoff odds as we have right now, it it you know both teams, you know, both the A's and the, and the Mariners have had their scuffles. Both are at the A's are at six percent, the Mariners are at five percent to make the postseason.
1: Alright, so if we're picking pick an NL West champion, I'll say LA I'll, i I have to go with the Dodgers and NL West too. And then pick uh the second NL wild card. I'll say I'll say San Diego still.
0: I think San Diego's going to bounce back and take it as well.
1: If you had... Who who among Cardinals, Reds, Phillies, Mets?
0: Reds. Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, okay, now name your two American League wildcard teams. I mean, this is... it's it, You know, just assume Ray's White, Ray's White Sox Astros. Just assume it. Then... Toronto and Oakland. I'm going to take Toronto and Boston. So we both have the Yankees out of the playoffs right now. I guess we do. They, they,
1: how much of that is just because of all this? There's so much volatility it feels like. Are we correctly gauging that or is that partially a like cultural and, and media creation?
0: No, I think we're totally right about this. I, I think um, you know the New York Yankees are – and in, we talked about the rotation, but they're incredibly flawed offensively. Um, you know, they are right now as a team slugging under 400 as a team. And this is this yeah. is the team with, with Aaron Judge and, and Giancarlo Stanton. This is a team that, uh, you know, I think they're 12th or 13th in the American League in slugging right now. This is not a is that they're they're playing, you know, dudes like Odor, you know, DJ LeMay, who's right. having an off year. Glaber Torres is having a bad year. Um, like Gio Urshela, I know is a fan favorite. He's you know he's got a sub 300 OBP. Um, you know Brett Gardner plays almost every day and is just flat out bad. Uh, you know, it's it's you know They're Joey
1: throwing G- shit against the wall like Aaron Judge playing center field with Giancarlo Stanton in an outfield corner and right.
0: Um, I mean Joey Gallo's been. I mean, and, and this is you know this is how Joey Gallo works. Like he either he can, he can carry your team for three weeks or kill you for three weeks. And and you know he, unfortunately he's picked the three weeks to go ice cold um and Lo isaac is hurt now too and he's been their most consistent reliever exactly and 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 it's so like it's it's a really flawed team and and you know judge and stanton are great but who else in that lineup really scares you right now yep the answer is nobody you know not a soul um you know gary sanchez is is still a guy who's just you know a power goof at this point right Um, yes he i know he had a couple dingers Whatever. Yeah, but that but that's what power goofs do, you know. But right. like he's yeah. still, you know, it's a 200 hitter with a ton of strikeouts and, and bad catcher defense. Um, you know, Luke Voigt's not been able to replicate what he did in the past. Uh, it's 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 a Judge, and if you can get through and you can navigate your way through and to Judge and Stanton, this offense they, they just can't hurt you. You know, and, and these other teams just have so much more depth to them. Yeah. Um, just a touch on Oakland since I picked them like
1: uh Frankie Montas and it's been really good lately it been really, really good, good.
0: It was really good last night
1: uh Manaya's resurgence like I picked this team to win the division before the year and none of the reasons that I thought that would be true have come to fruition and they still have kind of uh kept pace with with Houston here um Matt Chapman's had another kind of rough go of things he's been a little bit better of late and mm-hmm. Uh, on paper, the defense is still good. Although, just like visually, there have been a few more goofs this year than is typical of him. They somehow had maybe the best trade deadline of anyone, even though they don't have much of a farm system to trade from. Like Josh Harrison's been great for them. Starling Marte has cooled a little bit, but you know what he did for the couple weeks immediately after he was acquired is part of the reason that they're still in the mix here. So yeah, he's
0: been great. And and, and Jan Gomes is a low key, really good pickup as yeah. an after catcher. Um, I mean, they. It's and Chris. It was in the news today. This Chris Bassett threw off flat ground. Said he felt great. Uh, they need Chris Bassett back. Yeah, period. that's a big piece. That's that's the biggest piece for me. Yep. Um. And and you know we well their bullpen worries me. Um, in the sense that like I don't really know, like they don't really have a shutdown reliever.
1: They don't. Yeah, they don't have that single dominant guy. They have a bunch of. Grizzled vet types who are ultra consistent, but when you're right, generally the best can get the job the done, planet, yeah. Right, like Usmero Petit, part of Usmero Petit, Jake Deakman, Sergio Romo, like all these guys have been around for about a decade, right?
0: Um, and now Andrew Chaffin has been really good for him, yeah. Um, yep. and actually has got a couple of safe opportunities of late and 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 has done the job,
1: yeah. They're all perfectly acceptable seventh or eighth inning types, they just don't have that one, like. Peak Liam Hendricks. Basically, they're missing Liam Hendricks.
0: Yeah, that's that's a, yeah, exactly. It's a really good point. um And you know, and you know, they they do roll out a pretty deep lineup other than shortstop uh, and have lots of of options beyond yep. their they're starting lineup who can who can produce for them and, and do things in spots. So, I I mean, I, I get it. Like, I don't. I, I they have a chance. I just the Chris Bassett thing. I think really hurt them. I agree. Um. I want to talk about front Office for a second. And in the news this week, uh, the Rays extended uh, Eric Neander and made him president of baseball operations uh, and put to a long-term contract. Um, I'm sure Neander is happy about this and wanted to stay there. This also is the Rays protecting themselves and, and, and prevents Neander really from um, going elsewhere just because uh, for most executives at that, that high level, it has to be a promotion. And it, you can't promote someone beyond president of baseball operations unless you make some sort of right. super president or something. And so this protects both parties, uh, really, and, and, and allows the Rays to know that they'll keep Neander in a year where um, there are probably going to be some big jobs available, especially in New York with the Mets, um, and and keeps him there. The Rays are a little weird in that there's there you know, Eric Neander is, is president of baseball operations. There is no GM. I also believe there's no AGM. Or neither neither have that title, and maybe they save that title for when they need it, and they need to promote someone to keep them again, um, and and that kind of thing. The the the, the title game in, in baseball front offices is a uh, worthy of a book at this point. Um, but you know, as we speak right now, it, I, it it certainly feels to everyone like the Mets are going to have a turnover um, at the top, um, as they should. Um, I fear the Rockies are just going to roll with what they have because it's what they've always done. Um, are there any other teams you think could be, could end up in the market for a a a new top exec?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think that maybe the Tigers. Uh, I think at some point the the pressure there, Alavila will. You know, it's going to be felt. There's going to be pressure to perform relatively soon. I would have. But, they, guessed... but they've had a good year.
0: You know. For them, like they've had a good year. Like I, I think, if you are a Tigers fan, you're happy with what happened this year.
1: I think that the the pieces who are supposed to be part of the long term core here have yes started to perform in a way that makes you feel better. Uh, that like Heimer Candelario's had a pretty good year. That some of the pitching prospects have started to turn a corner a little bit. And that like, hey, look, Akil Badu is maybe an actual piece. I think you and I are maybe a little bit skeptical about that but um he certainly has done as well as you can expect oh, you could have hoped the, yeah. the top you know rule five guy to perform he's he's been quite good uh so i guess yeah maybe maybe that's true um jerry depoto signed an extension so that one's out i think the angels perry knew uh that we'll see similar chance to what we've had in in philly like maybe the some other pieces of that front office move on and you'll mm-hmm. see like big high level executives hired there uh, the you know on the pro and amateur side both perhaps um ray montgomery was brought in uh you know that might be a situation where like menasian installs his people i feel like things are stable pretty much everywhere else like they
0: are and, and, and so the Mets will be looking for for maybe a top guy, at least a GM. Um, The Cubs Cubs are not looking for a top guy, but Jed Hoyer has started GM search. Um, I think Arizona's fine. Am I crazy in that? I've not heard anything,
1: and I would like to think that things have just been so bizarrely unfortunate for them that doesn't speak to anyone's incompetence. I think it's more just like randomness. Uh, And some of it is... The owner's fault, like when you look at the Starling Marte sequence of events where they traded a comp round prep arm and Brennan Malone and a top 100 shortstop in the over Pagaro for Starling Marte, and then got like a minor league rule five guy and Caleb Smith back for him because people in baseball knew Ken Kendrick wasn't going to you know entertain Starling Marte's option, right. and it cost the Diamondbacks big time in negotiating leverage, so... You know, like, there's stuff like that that you have to understand the context in a pretty intimate way to really understand what transpired there. It doesn't look good for the front office on the surface, but it's not really their fault. Right? Uh, It's a bunch of stuff like that that's happened with the D-backs. So, yeah, I think that they deserve more time as well and that there's also, like, an understanding between Kendrick and and their front office. um, But, like, at the same time, like, Madison Bumgarner... Has a big kind of ugly contract and stuff yes. like that. So uh, there are some other things that, that aren't great uh, in Arizona. Mitch Hanniger has been really good, right? Like there are other things that are, um, you know, trading Zach Allen for Jazz Chisholm, maybe I mean, at one point it looks like be a great okay. decision, but
0: that still might be okay. It
1: still is kind of hanging in the balance now. Uh, so like there is some stuff, but yeah, I think that they they're in the Tigers bucket where they deserve more time.
0: Um. So, I then like I said, the Mets are almost certainly going to turn over. Um, it's been he's been attached there already a lot, and it's not like I'm surprising anyone with his name. But I, I do think chances are good that Theo Epstein's going to go in there.
1: Yeah, you know, I was at my family's wedding. Uh, my cousin Emily got married. Uh, last weekend I was there, and there are some friends of the family who are big Mets fans who were just they presume that that will occur as well. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which is, you know, this is where I get all my dope from is from my, <laughs> these are your pop
0: sources, yeah. your Mets, your Mets fan family. Yeah. Lisa's um, got, she knows what's up. Yeah. I think, I think Cohen would love to, it's just going to tell him to name his price and he will, and that'll be that. And, and, and the only thing maybe getting in the way of that is, um, and someone said this to me and it, it kind of surprised me and maybe it shouldn't have, but someone, you know, we were talking about like jobs and and Theo and someone said, I think Theo wants to be commissioner. I've only met
1: Theo one time and so I don't know what he wants but it wouldn't surprise me and I don't know I don't know how much he's built for that like I think he would be a good steward for baseball but I don't know if he has the sort of like bloodlust for mm-hmm. what that person's job has entailed during the course of my lifetime like it seems like you have to be kind of like a union busting sycophant for the owners the stuff that I hear Rob Manfred talking about in meetings does not sound like the type of thing Theo Epstein would be interested in mm. in doing. Like, I don't know if you want to be the errand boy for, for 30 billionaires. I, I feel like that's not what that guy's about. Um, I think that handed, being handed the keys to uh, the Mets and like, being asked to kind of turn around this big market haunted thing <laughs>
0: is, is more his speed um so yeah it's it's the name's flying around a lot and it's flying around a lot for it's not just like a logical connection there's i think there's reasons to think that that's uh that's what's gonna happen here and
1: i know that the winds of change have been blowing in new york for quite a while now like there are rumors about different people meeting with steve cohen Mm -hmm. uh going back a couple of months like closer to the start of the season so yeah uh i think that it's yeah i think that things are going to change there and people in baseball love and respect sandy Alderson's entire body of work but there has been egg on his face with stuff
0: lately yeah it's not it's not been a good run and it wouldn't surprise me to see standy stay on in um some sort of you know like an advisory role
1: yeah that was part of part of the deal there was
0: that he wasn't going to do this and now he's doing it all
1: right uh but i think that he was the name that was attached to this in terms of like before cohen bought the team as a person that was going to be installed that the other owners when they were voting on this situation like felt comfortable with right? Uh, because of his level of experience. Like to, I think that Alderson was attached to the team uh, in part to like grease the wheels for the sale.
0: Um, I wanted to talk to you about the draft. And, and now that we are um, about two months removed from the draft and I was just, you know, thinking about, you know, just like you and then maybe you know, we look at box scores every day. Right. And every time I look up like th- th- these dudes are pretty like the draft returns so far have been really like everyone's doing well. You know, they, they, like I mean, Henry Davis is hitting, Marcella Myers hit some bombs, Colton cowser has been great, good. uh Benny Montgomery's been great, Brady House has been great, Sal Freelix raking, Khalil Watson looks wonderful. Like it just feels like it's obviously you don't judge anything too months later, but it, it feels like this this draft class looks really good so far.
1: Yeah. Um be, getting the in-person look at different players is, I think the last time I was on, I had recently seen Montgomery versus the Cubs guys, and the Cubs have like, the U Darvish return is there, and they have a bunch of good young Latin American players, Kevin Alcantara, who they got from the Yankees and the Rizzo deal, and it did put some of that stuff in context for me, like watching Kevin Alcantara and Benny Montgomery is instructive because they're about the same age, mm. one was just a top 10 pick, and the other has been, you know, this shooting guard bill like project for the last couple of years. And he's exciting in ways that go beyond like Benny Montgomery talent wise, in my opinion. Uh But I don't know. I know that like the level of play in low a this year is down. That no question. like, are we seeing something that is a result of minor league contraction that is making this group of guys, look better than they would in a typical year if, if things were quote-unquote normal or if they were what they were before where we had like short season ball that these guys could go to maybe. you're know, Like Marcelo Meyer maybe should just be in the Appy League, right, in a typical year. Um We're talking about maybe the best prospect in a draft even though he's a high schooler. Like maybe he should just be there right now and doesn't really have the option of going there. And so he's just going to crush a slightly weaker type of pitching for the next three weeks and then be done uh maybe that some of that is at play but also i just think that like yeah these guys are good uh it feels good you know south fralick you know his background is what it is he's a multi-sport guy from the northeast but like he is also a big college player who crushed statistically like he should be destroying low a. um and you know colton couser should be killing it like he we had as much confidence in him as a hitter as we did Henry Davis, like they're in the same future value tier for God's sake. So like he should be crushing. Um, so I think some of it is also, is also that, but yeah, like there, there are, we also just had a super deep draft class because the 2020 draft was five rounds. So we should have guys that are, are playing pretty well. And I think it's, it's good uh, to, any, to any see.
0: players you've seen you know, in person? I know you go to a lot of stuff in Arizona that are particularly impressed.
1: Oh, the open ended prospect question still mm-hmm. an effort uh, for me. Let's see. Um, let me look at the ACL rosters quick. You know, the angels guys are that's where I am the most just because Tempe Diablo is is right here. Um, Jackson Merrill with uh, with San Diego. Yeah, I think that guy's just on talent could have could have been a, f- a first round pick period. I know he was under in the back around one. But I think he looks good. Um, How's he looked uh, in the field? Just fine. Not like spectacular, but definitely someone who it's like, look, you send this guy out at shortstop and see how it looks. Uh, Yep. Okay. Continuously. Um, It was interesting, like him and Max Ferguson from Tennessee, who the Padres took in a later round. Ferguson coming out of the fall was just in my first round mix. Like he had a great short 2020. Yep. And then a good fall and was terrible in 2021 and fell to, I think, like the seventh round. When you look at him and Jackson Merrill, when one is in the batter's box and the other is in the on-deck circle, physically, Ferguson looks like the projectable high school kid who needs Mm. to, like, add 25 pounds. Uh, And Merrill looks more like an actual pro athlete physically. Um, So that's just sort of interesting to note. Uh, James Wood, the giant center fielder. He's he's played a bunch of center field, at least when I've seen him uh with San Diego. He's 6'7", 240 and playing center field, like had as much raw power as any of the high school kids in the draft. Uh the Padres gave him overslot dollars in the back of the second round. He looks like what he was billed as by the amateur arm of the industry, which is this guy's got a lot of power and might be a three bat, like good luck. Um if he has to play first base, like there's a lot of pressure on him to to perform from a contact
0: perspective more so than anything else like we heard in high school that that you know even though he was like you said like the you know six seven two forty the mountain of a man like he could really move and I did notice he has eight stolen bases he can really move right
1: yeah underway uh, like getting down the line from first base is a little bit more of an effort just because like it takes a, it takes while, a while to get, a get that going 6, seven guy to get going <laughs> But yeah, underway. It is it is different than most guys this size. What what he looks like at age twenty two? Would it surprise me if it's totally different? No, like you know Adam Dunn. It's like an Adam Dunn body, basically. Like I'm at reminded some point of Kyle he, Blanks. That That's another. Yeah, I mean, some of that is uniform talking, but uh-huh. uh But yeah, like the the Adam Dunn comp feels. Closer, just because of what I know from Young Adam Dunn being kind of like freaky athletic for his size, than oh yeah, just being
0: huge eventually. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, you know, everyone remembers Adam Dunn for what Adam Dunn was, like a you know a DH who struck out a ton, walked a ton, hit bombs. Like when Adam Dunn was coming up, I think he stole twenty bases his first year in, in the Midwest League in Dayton, and you know, and you know this, but like when Adam Dunn was signed, it was an expensive sign because he had a D one football scholarship to yeah some major school, like some you know like a real football program. Um, and uh, like he could move. Yeah, wasn't it wasn't at Texas. Yeah, it might've uh, been Texas. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the guys who it's interesting, like I just have a couple months of watching the Latin American guys who were here for extended. And some of them are the high school kids from last year's draft. Um, and those are the players who I have like a better more robust feel for than the draft guys who Mm. I'm, like, reticent to want to move on at all because we just spent all spring, like, coming up with a way of assessing them. You know, the other guy who's interesting is Triantos, James Triantos with the Cubs. Yeah. Who, this is the type of high school player who's sort of in vogue right now, who there's a different industry vibe about than there would have been even, like, five years ago just because of the industry's collective ability to quantify hit tool aspects for high schoolers now. Like, there's just a more granular way of understanding swing and miss than there used to be. And so, like, the Anthony Hewitts of the world don't exist as much. Like, that's a real They certainly don't exist
0: in the first round as much.
1: Right. And so, James Triantos is the antithesis of this, like, toolsy swing and miss high schooler He's the high schooler who looks generic physically and performs in an exceptional way with the bat in a way that is now quantifiable uh, that wasn't before. And so like this guy had like an 11 to one ball in play to swing and miss ratio during summer showcase play. He reclassified, he was going to be a 2022 and and reclassified as a 21. So he was on the younger end. So all the, the draft models loved him. Uh, and instead of being, Like we wrote him up basically as a statistical sleeper, and instead he like goes in the middle of round two. Um, Nick York, the guy from two years, two drafts ago with Boston, who was like surprise first rounder. It's like an advanced West Coast infield bat. Uh, He's killing it too, and maybe should be on our top 100 right now. He Uh, should be. uh,
0: He should be. He's really good.
1: So Triantos is that type of prospect coming out. And to watch him on a pro field with other pro athletes is like, oh, this guy belongs. He's not a slam dunk to be even passable at short, but he's probably an infielder and he can really hit. And he has bat speed commensurate with like the rest of these guys who have a chance to be a big leaguer. And his feel for contact is weird looking. Like his swing is not traditional. It's not like I know I'm watching Miguel Cabrera or anything like that. But he has a quantifiably special feel for contact. So uh, he's he's been a high-priority val just because it was like, look, this is a totally statistically-driven profile, basically. What does he look like athletically on a field with other pro athletes, some of which are like Reggie Preciado, mm. who like has the, had the biggest amateur bonus for a player from his home country, and Kevin Alcantara, who's just been on the back of our 100 for a couple of years because his upside is so enormous. Uh, And like this guy belongs, he, he belongs. So that's been a pretty interesting uh, one to watch too.
0: And it's, it's been, you know, a different story in terms of pitching. And, you know, we warned everybody about this before the draft, just that, you know, with the weird 2020 and, and with what we've already seen, you know, most of these pitchers are just getting shot down or treated with incredible kids' gloves. Um, Yeah. You know, as we speak, uh, seven first round pitchers have made their pro debut only one has thrown more than ten innings at this point, not being Sam Bachman, who's been okay in, in, in high A with the Angels. Um I actually watched Jordan Wick's pro debut last week. Um Okay. Uh, just because I it was it happened to be on. Um the Cubs played a day game and uh, on the Cubs network, the Marquee network. Um, they had the South Bend game on. I was like, oh, that's fun. I'll turn, that's that, awesome. on. I'll turn that on for a second. I had no idea that it was even going to happen. I said, "I'll oh, just turn this on for a, a hot second. They said, and, you know, first round pick, Jordan Weeks is going to make his pro debut. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll watch that. He threw one inning and, and carved and absolutely cruised. Um, you know, it was one inning and it was clean and he struck out a dude and looks like Jordan Weeks. Um, but, you know, so we're not seeing, we're not getting the same, kind of immediate feedback, if you will, on, on the pitching group that we do on the hitting group and and so for um prospect ranking purposes, and which are coming up all too soon if you look at a calendar, um, like we're still going to have to go for a lot of these guys just over what we you know, what we know of, of them going into the draft as opposed to having any sort of immediate pro results to go off of. Is there anybody who is
1: like has a red flag already because of how they've done. I mean like again like the Latin American guys like Robert Poisson Mm -hmm. gigantic red red flag Uh, 41% strikeout rate over the course of a couple of months is enough that even being tepid on him like entering the year is maybe too high. Um, I don't know if anyone in the draft has really fallen on their face in quite the same fashion though.
0: Not at that level. Like there's been a couple of guys where you, you do wonder about it, but it's just so early. Like you know, Bubba Chandler striking out a ton. I noticed the other day.
1: Yeah, Lonnie White Jr. is Lonnie too. White
0: striking out a ton. Um, you know, I know um Max Muncy's really, really scuffled. Um, but yeah, no one's really been a disaster. Um I, I at least I don't think. And 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 same on the pitching level, but again, on the pitching side, like nobody's nobody's throwing, really pitching, yeah. so it doesn't it doesn't really matter yet I guess it's, um,
1: pitching is so we we maybe have to have like a long think and discussion about how exactly we lo- go about lining up pitching because like mm-hmm. I'm sick of it just feels bad to have Mackenzie Gore be as good as he was in 2019 and almost it was almost easy. To stick him where he was put on, on any overall list, right, sure, and for it to feel so wrong two years later, like it's a feeling that that comes often with trying to line up prospect pitching. Like, is just proximity the 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 thing we should be caring about with pitching more mm-hmm. than anything else? Is it just proximity that we should be caring about that the guy if he's ready to do it tomorrow? That's as good as anything, like that we should just care about Jose Urquidy as much, if not more, as we do Jackson Job.
0: It's an interesting question. Yeah, you're right. Um Yeah, that, that's something to have a longer conversation about, but I think you are right. And and I, you know, it's a slam dunk 3-4 starter who's almost ready is worth a lot more than I think we think. And 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 I it, mean it's it's what you're talking about is a more um, a, a more focused version of the kind of assuredness versus upside argument that we're going to have every year when we rank prospects yes um, yeah it's it's a more
1: severe like look Sixto Sanchez has had upper back and shoulder stuff and so let's he just no matter how he looks like he's just a 50 who belongs somewhere close to like 70th overall right like this is just likely to be a problem that the guy guy this young who's got you know heavy as fast as he has and has had these other issues in his fastball shape is this like don't don't look at the radar gun reading just think about that other stuff
0: so here's a here's a fun trivia question to finish this segment what 2021 draftee has hit the most home runs as a pro so far oh uh, is it Nico Cavadas? <laughs> it is not. It is not. It is a first round pick. Uh. It is Trey Sweeney. Really? Trey Sweeney. Uh, has right. been phenomenal with the Yankees so far. He's played across a few levels, but he is hitting uh, two eighty seven, four twelve, six twenty eight, is seven home runs and ninety four at bats. And, and also, among, I I think he's among the the leaders in walks as well so far. He's been great. Offensively. Okay. That's great. (laughs) Trey Sweeney. (laughs) So we'll take a break on Trey Sweeney. We'll come back. We'll talk to Liz Rocher about the Philadelphia Phillies. Come back. Talk some music. Read your email. Stuff like that. So stick around. back to the podcast special guest time our special guest is a writer and editor at yahoo sports and the former managing editor at the good fight where she still hosts a podcast about the philadelphia phillies and here to discuss the wonder and frustration that is being a (laughs) philadelphia phillies fan from what i'm sure are luxurious accommodations in dayton ohio it's liz rocher liz how are you
2: i'm great thanks Uh, I'm glad to be here.
0: Are you? Are you glad?
2: I am. I've never been on here before. It's nice to be asked to be on a podcast.
0: (laughs) Do you still feel that way when we say we're going to talk about the Phillies?
2: I talk about the Phillies voluntarily on a podcast twice a week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I still, I have to be glad.
0: So as we sit here on on the afternoon of Thursday September 9th the Phillies are 3 games over 500 and, and going into the year they felt like a team that was like a little bit over 500 and if things went well they might compete for a playoffs and if things didn't they wouldn't um the the national yeast has kind of been um for lack of a better term <laughs> up for grabs most of the second half and it's kind of I was
2: going to say garbage fire but whatever That's
0: per- yeah perfectly fine and it feels like um You know, the situation is like nobody wants to win it, including the Phillies. Um, I mean, has this team kind of just lived up to your expectations or did you expect more or less?
2: I expected more, though in retrospect, I don't know why I thought that, (laughs) considering that they they didn't add too much from last year. They didn't make a ton of changes. You know, they re-signed a lot of the guys that they already had. Um, You know, D.D. Gregorius came back. They signed J.T. Realmuto to a contract, you know, aside from, you know, seat warmers like Travis Jankowski and, um, gosh, Chase Anderson and Matt Moore. Like, those are the guys they signed to, I guess, push them over the line somehow. And so I I don't know why I expected more, Um, but at least they're over 500, which... They weren't for a lot of the time and haven't been for, I think, the last 10 years.
0: And, you know, it's it's they have one of the best pitchers in baseball, Zach Wheeler. They have uh, Bryce Harper having an an MVP level campaign Um, at the same time. This is a team with um, oh, so many holes, especially on the pitching side. Is it it feels like I mean, why don't you think this team did more? To, to try to put them over the line, if you will.
2: What I think, they hired Dave Dombrowski as their mm-hmm. president of baseball operations pretty late uh, in the offseason. I believe it might have been early February or maybe it was late January. It was pretty late, um, but they hired him. And the message that we were getting was we're not – the message we were getting and had been getting – was our point is to sign JTL Real Muto, and that was it. It seemed like from Dombrowski's press conference, that he wanted this to be like an observational year. Like Hmm. this was his gap year before he really started doing stuff. And so that's, you know, when you look at the moves they've made, that's exactly what it is. Real Muto sets them up for the future, but no one else they signed really does. I think they signed Didi Gregorius to a two-year contract, and that is it. And, like, I've been screaming to my my podcast, my Phillies podcast friends in our Slack, like, who's in charge? Is anyone doing anything? Is anyone telling Joe Girardi what to do? Is he just making decisions on his own? Like, I've I've wanted to know who has been guiding things and i don't think i'm ever going to get an answer to that at least it's (laughs) (laughs) at least it seems now that dombrowski is actually starting to take control of things he's made some staffing changes in the front office and in development which is great probably long time coming so i think that's why they didn't do more they really were determined not to spend a lot of money this year and they didn't
0: and in 2020 the phillies bullpen was um amazingly awful oh yeah um just phenomenal like like pull over and watch the car accident awful um this year they've been more merely bad (laughs) um and you know they tried to shore that up and at at the deadline with ian kennedy who hasn't really worked out um they moved their best reliever ranger suarez to the rotation uh you know in the playoffs these these things really matter like who who can the phillies really kind of count on to get the last nine outs of a game right now
2: That's a super great question. Um, my go-to answer for most of the season has been Ranger Suarez, who they took out of the bullpen at like the worst time. Like he's been doing fine in the rotation largely, but they also, they also played this game with other pitchers and have just moved them around at will and they've done that with position players moving them from other from position to position. Like that was sort of the hallmark of the Matt Clentac era. We'd like to turn every single player we have, whether they're a pitcher or a position player, into someone who can play everywhere. And that is a bad idea. <laughs> I'm not I don't work in baseball, but I'm just going to say I feel like that's a bad idea mm-hmm. in general because it really screwed up um It really screwed up a couple of players, Um, and I just didn't want it to happen to Ranger Suarez. Um, I mean, Hector Naris has been in the bullpen since God was in short pants, Um, and he's dependable whenever he is dependable, and then he'll go through phases where he will give up just crushing, brain-melting home runs uh, and lose like four games in a row. And then he'll have a month of doing great, and that is pretty much the only consistency I think you can count on from the bullpen is inconsistency. Unless they move Suarez back to the to the bullpen, like if they even manage to make the playoffs, they should move him directly to the bullpen and have him stay there, because I don't I don't trust anyone else. I really don't.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a top heavy org in general. I think that they're going to try to gut it out the rest of the way with just a four-man rotation. Uh, with Suarez being one of those, part of the reason is because they haven't built real pitching depth um, compared to some of the other playoff contending teams. The fact that three Phillies pitchers and that's it are currently uh, on the IL is like quite tame compared to what a lot of the other teams have, have gone through. Um, and the bullpen piece of it has been the bullpen piece of it has been frustrating in the same way like the Flyers goaltending situation has been frustrating for yeah. over a decade.
0: That's hockey, right?
1: That's hockey. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Surely you know Gritty, Kevin. <laughs> Do uh, know? Everyone knows Gritty. Uh, Gritty's As a leftist, it's hard not to way. know who Gritty is. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like even when the Phillies were good, Brad Lidge and that high wire act towards the end of his career was the closer. Uh, but you mentioned some of the staffing changes, Liz. Like, what is the perception? Obviously, and you you touched on it earlier on Dombrowski kind of saying, like, look, I'm going to come in and just kind of get the lay of the land this year. And I think that, that when he says something like that, I do think it applies to what am I going to do with this staff that I didn't hire and their contracts, some of them are going to be up at the end of the year and I can, like, move on and put my own people in. What, what are some of the perceptions – That like you, and maybe like the commentary at your at your site and like the fan base. What do they believe are the reasons for the struggles? Who are they foisting the responsibility upon?
2: Well, I guess it depends on where you are looking. If you are looking at the struggles of the Phillies to to have any depth in the minors at all, that is definitely all development, and that's all that that's a lot of the changes that um, Dombrowski made. He really changed around um, he I don't think he actually outright fired anybody. Um, the People Phillies were
1: reassigned or, or, yeah, or yeah the Phillies
2: tend to do that a lot, um, which I used to hate for some reason and now realize it's actually quite charitable um, because the two guys like they they um, they essentially fired a guy who'd been there for since early early 2000s um, who's who I'd even met at one point. And instead of firing him outright, he's now, like, a special assistant, I'm going to guess, until his contract runs out. You know, that's that's a nice thing to do. Um, but they changed out a lot of those guys. And I think there were changes that needed to be made because minor league depth has been a problem since the last time they were good. Like, the last – like, they brought up Dominic Brown, and that was one of the last big prospects they brought up before the drought. And we're still in it. Like, there's just – They've had a, a terrible time um, drafting. They just suck. They really just suck at a lot of stuff, and it's been—it's been. It's been <laughs> I mean, that's all I can say. It's tough to take, um, you know, because you say all you do is you say the same things. Like when you do a podcast a couple times a week about the Phillies, you find yourself saying the same things over and over every year. And I'm—I've I'm, been wondering when is anything going to change? They need to do something whatever it is because then at least they'll be good or bad instead of this this painful middle area where they can continue to sort of defend what they've done while there's really no reason for them to do it
1: it's strange, right like some of the there have been times during the course of the life of some of the players I'm about to mention, where you'd say, "Hey, yeah, that was a good pick," or "This is a developmental success," like Alec Bohm a year ago. Now,
0: well, I, I let me. I want to talk about Alec Bohm. Like Alec Bohm was the third pick in 2018. Yeah, hit all the way up the ladder, goes to the AFL and Rakes, and then last year had a season that, in most years, would have earned him Rookie of the Year honors, and now he's back in the minors. So, uh. Liz, explain to everyone you're now exactly what happened to Alex.
2: <laughs> everyone should tune in. This is the definitive answer. Yes. Um, I really don't have an answer. I'm. I think some of it is is Joe Girardi. He is. I hate. <laughs> hate is a very strong word. I have really not enjoyed his management style, and it was hard to get a beat on in 2020 because there were 60 games and everyone was playing with the DH. And as soon as they took the DH away from him. He forgot how to manage a game normally, and he still hasn't figured it out. I don't know if he's ever really managed. It, it, it's been a long time, if at all, if he's managed uh, without the DH. And it really showed. And he also started developing a habit of not trusting any of his young players. He will favor veterans over everyone. There's a reason Travis Jankowski and Brad Miller have been starting a lot lately, and it's not because they're good. It's because Joe Girardi feels comfortable with it. And that is what started to happen with, um, like, there, uh, Nick Maton, an infielder, who was doing pretty well at one point, sort of in the same situation as Boehm. He had a handful of bad games, uh, and he just stopped getting playing time entirely. He was on the—I think he was on the 26, 25-man roster for a while without taking it at bat, and eventually they sent him down. I'm like, huh, I didn't even know he was still around. Why hasn't he been taking at bats all this time? Why has he been wasting all this time sitting on the bench watching these games? And that is eventually what happened with Bohm. He had some bad, he had a bad stretch, a really bad stretch. He started to rebound, but at that point, I think Girardi lost confidence in him and just stopped playing him and just put random guys over there at third base or at first base, wherever it was they had him playing. And eventually they sent him down to the minors, which if they were going to do that, they should have done it much earlier instead of at this point when... It would. He could have had so much more time to actually get more experience and get his confidence back up, because that was that also seemed to be a big issue. He really looked like he had no confidence out there. He looked like he was ready to fail from before it started.
1: Yeah, I um, saw them when they were here in Arizona, and that was one of the last times that Bohm was up. Uh, Caleb Smith was blowing eighty 89- nine passed him at the letters oh. and yeah I didn't know I mean I knew he, he had been struggling and that had been a problem on both sides of the ball um I don't know I, there's not a visual thing about like the swing that has changed obviously last year had a very contact oriented approach but this is Scott Kingery was great for a year and right. then fell off and now we have Bohm is another example of how this has has happened uh I suppose there's a there's a chance that like the the thing that has occurred for a lot of the last, you know, Liz mentioned it, uh, Dominic Brown, Michael Taylor, like guys oh come through God. and they hit in all the way up the ladder and then something kind of shifts. but. But yeah, like Alex Bowman has done nothing but his entire life until this year. It wouldn't surprise me if there's something physical that's underlying that's like sapped his bat speed or whatever. I, I don't know. But it was weird to watch him get beat by three velocity at the at the top of the zone. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. The, the development piece of it does seem to be a problem. Uh, it seems like a lot of the way that teams have stayed competitive is through... Having a sufficient pitching depth, number one, and then making a few developmental changes here and there that have uh, borne fruit, and that hasn't really happened here. But as you mentioned, like, yeah, Ronald Torreyes just plays all the time, and he's a good little player. But on an actual contending team, is he your everyday third baseman? Like, probably not.
2: Exactly. I've been screaming at anybody who's like, "The Phillies are really in it." I'm like, "No, they're not." Take a look at their. Take a look at who they're sending out there every day. You know, take a look at the guys that are filling the bench spots, even. Take a look at their rotation. You know, like Chase Anderson and Matt Moore have both been absolute disasters, and yet they've had to depend on them so much this year. And it's all been bad. You know, this is not what a contending team looks like. This is not what a playoff team looks like. And in any other division, they'd be buried.
0: Well, that's what I going to say. I mean, you say they're, you know, no, they're not in it. They are kind of in it.
2: Well, they are it, in it, it's, but it's it, only by it's virtue. It's a perverse
0: way, but <laughs> yes. it, but they're they're kind of in it, and it you, you, is. you know you got to take what's in front of you, and
2: it's the um, most Phillies way to be in it, possible.
0: <laughs> well, they, I, you say that, and and um, look, I'm I'm not from Philadelphia. I'm a big fan of that town, actually, but um, <laughs> people I think about that I follow on Twitter who cover the Phillies or, or tweet about the Phillies or whatever. Um, team overall like it just just being a Phillies fan is is a contract with misery and like is that is that the tone here
2: kind of I mean why why is that I mean it's it's just because of how the team is done like there's after 2011 there is an acceptance period of okay I guess the team is just suddenly bad now like 2012, they were mediocre, and then 2013, they sunk directly to the bottom and stayed there for five years, three, uh, four, four years, and then we were promised after that that things were going to get better. Mm-hmm. And every year we've been promised, all right, well we've got Bryce Harper, it's time to go to the playoffs. All right, well we we traded our best pitching prospect for J T Realmuto, playoff city. You know, oh, we've signed JT Real Muto to a long-term contract. Next stop, playoffs. And it has not happened. And it, at a certain point, you, <laughs> you just lose it. At a certain point, it feels like it is a contract mis- with misery because you don't know how they're going to get out of it. Because when you spend as much time talking about the Phillies as I do, it, you have a, a, f- a fuller view of what the organization looks like and what they actually have to do to get to a point where they could be seriously competitive with a team like the Dodgers, a team that the Phillies were reportedly so terrified of at like the at the last uh, two trade deadlines ago that they they were so terrified of the Dodgers that it affected their trade plans. Like this is when that stuff happens when you hear that, it's like this how is this team ever going to pull itself out of this? And what they just a- they just hired a new like president of baseball operations. And I'm just like, are we starting over again? How
1: is it? But what is it about the city that, and like the culture (laughs) of the city that even though they're in the thick of it, this is the, this is the tone because it, Kevin's right. Like I was listening to a game. uh, I, I think that they were, they were playing the Braves. It was like someone, maybe Andrew McCutcheon was having like an epic 13 pitch at bat with, Tying run on base somewhere, and uh, Scott Fransky was, you know, like, oh, here we go. Like this at bats taking forever,
2: and it's like, oh, no, this is an <laughs> exciting part Scott. of the game. It's okay. Like, where's where is this coming from? It comes from watching the team every day. I I legitimately feel bad for Scott Fransky, um, Larry Anderson, Kevin Franskin, They're brought well. Kevin Franskin is like a puppy dog. He is never unhappy. Uh, but Scott Fransky has been through it, and he's when you watch the team every day, it tells you a lot more than their record does. Because watching the Phillies this year, regardless of their record, has been a a singularly unenjoyable experience. It really has.
0: <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this then: like, we, we're, we're, uh, so right now, as we as we woke up, I this like morning... baseball.
2: By the way, I like baseball, and I like the <laughs> Phillies. I just want to make that clear. <laughs>
0: So as we wake up this morning, um, the Phillies, per Fangraphs odds, have a thirty point three percent chance to make the playoffs. <laughs> so at a twenty four percent chance to win the division. Let's just say that the Braves continue to scuffle and the Mets continue to met, and the Phillies pick up a few wins and get and they sneak into the playoffs and like they lose the wild card game eleven to two or or they get to the first round and they get bounced out quickly. Will you be as mad?
2: I don't – I really don't know. That, that's a good question because the playoffs has been a goal for so long. Just to make the playoffs, to prove that the Phillies can still do it, there is still good in this organization. But will I still be mad? Okay. The Phillies – I don't know how I'll feel, but I know that watching this season has not been fun and that they do a lot of things that bad teams do, and they do them repeatedly. And for that type of team to make the playoffs, it's tough to know how to feel. I'll be happy because they did make it. Um, And uh, if they go in, I'll know full well that there's a good chance they're going to get bounced really early. Um, And if they don't, that's what the playoffs are all about. You know, a team can get hot and just take it all the way to the top. We all know the story of the 2010 Giants. So it could happen them, but I really don't think it will. And if they make it to the playoffs and then get bounced, I know my fear is that the front office is going to use that as an excuse. They're just going to use that as proof. We have succeeded. Look at us. We have finally done it. We have reached the top of the mountain, the playoffs. Thank you very much. And things will continue to not change. Does that right, make well,
1: sense? Let's If I'm going to talk my, I'm going to talk myself into it.
2: Okay. I want to hear that. Okay,
1: <laughs> put put the eagle season on the back burner. <laughs> That's football, which right? I'm sure is not what's going on in the city right now. Um, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, when he's right, which is my first qualifier, Aaron Nola, when he's right, and Zach Wheeler can go toe to toe with any two dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the deadline acquisition, Kyle Gibson and Ranger Suarez, like if you can reduce the size of your rotation again in the playoffs and Ranger Suarez again becomes a bullpen weapon like he was before he moved into the rotation. Uh, Getting those last six to nine outs, Ian Kennedy, Jose Alvarado, Hector Neris, you've got three guys with closing experience. Archie Bradley is a fourth. Bailey Falters another pretty interesting long piece in the bullpen. The lineup has maybe the NL MVP and Bryce Harper. Uh, I don't know how many middle infielders are hitting 300, but it's probably pretty few of them. And Gene Segura still exists uh, <laughs> at a cool 294, right? Like, no, I don't know. I, I think that the, again, what you said earlier just feels right. Like when you really compare this team to like the Dodgers there's not enough here. They're in the division because the Braves, Acuna, Soroka, etc. Missing Ian Anderson for a bunch of the year. The Mets, Degrom, like injuries have made it so they're here. Um, but they're here. But, but they are here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I said several times this year that the seas was parting for the Phillies to just walk directly in to the NL East Championship. Like they could, they could have just taken it if they hadn't been the Phillies. Really, if you know. <laughs> The Mets were Metsing. The, you know, the, uh, the Braves were injured. Uh, and the Phillies had just gotten a bunch of guys back. And, like, the seas were parting and they just continued to trip on the hems of their own garments and fall every single time. And that is, the experience of watching them this season has really colored my overall feeling about them as a playoff team. Which, you know, I guess it should, but you look at it from the outside and you see, like, and I can't deny Wheeler and Nola when he is on are great you know Harper is a great hitter they've got they've got good hitters in the lineup they've got dudes with closing experience who can throw 100 miles per hour those are all great things to have but. When they've been put together, they haven't been able to make it work consistently. They've had two great winning streaks this year, two or three, but they follow them up, not just with losing streaks, but with embarrassing losing streaks. They followed their most recent winning streak up by getting swept by the Diamondbacks. That's a so, big thing. That's a problem. <laughs> they, they have this I was team. I for it.
1: It was bad.
2: <laughs> this team has a history of losing to teams they shouldn't lose to. They like the Marlins have been their, their biggest bugaboo over the past couple of seasons. Everyone else had a, everyone else in the NLE's had a winning record against the Marlins last season, except for the Phillies. Like it, it, that is what makes me think that this team can't or shouldn't be a playoff team because you have to win the games you're supposed to win. If you can't win games against the Diamondbacks, what are you doing here?
1: So, long term core of the team just contractually at this point: Harper through twenty twenty seven, Wheeler through twenty twenty four, Realmuto through twenty twenty five. Some of the other young players, Reese Hoskins, you know, there there are a couple years uh, of arbitration left, but everybody else is pretty much on a on a short term deal. That includes some other, like you know, Aaron Nola. I would say is in his prime, and uh, he's a free agent after twenty twenty three. But uh, but Andrew McCutcheon, club option at the end of the year probably doesn't get picked up, right? Fifteen million probably. Will uh, get picked up. What's that? KG? I
0: think that might get picked up.
1: All right. Uh, Oduble Herrera two club option years at about twelve mil- million each.
2: It's I have no idea what they're going to do with that. Absolutely <laughs> none.
1: He's he's a weird one, right? Because there's sometimes when he's epically hot, and others where he looks like he doesn't know how to play baseball at all. Yep, uh, that's
2: it's a tough thing.
1: Archie Bradley, Brad Miller, Matt Moore, Ian Kennedy, Freddie Galvis, and Matt Joyce all come off the the books as free agents. So there's going to be a lot of turnover here. Um, Dave Dombrowski, if he's got you know, he's got a, a history of piecing together older teams that that seem how to get it done. What you know, like scale of two to eight. What level of confidence do you have in his uh, ability to to do that? And what do you think some of those, like the staff will be shaped like uh, in terms of philosophically uh, as he puts his people in place this offseason?
2: I'd say I'm at a solid five, which is right in the the middle. Uh, Part of it is that his history is he does have a history of trading a bunch of prospects for established guys. And the Phillies have no prospects for him to trade they they're just that bank account is empty. And so he's going to have to build this team. And there's going to be a lot of turnover. He's going to have to build it through free agency. <laughs> and that's tough. I that's the difficult thing cuz when he got here, people were wondering why they had hired a guy who is famous for doing something that the Phillies just right now cannot do. So. So I do have some confidence though. I mean, he he's Hall of Fame manager manager, Hall of Fame executive, and you have to have confidence that he's gonna pull it out. You have to have confidence that one of the Phillies' hiring decisions are is going to be correct. At one point, they're gonna hire the right person for the job. They've gotten it wrong a lot recently, and I'm hoping that this is the right guy and he's gonna do he what he can to actually make this team feel like a, a team that i can root for again. Like i'm eager to see what other teams he what other changes he makes over the offseason. Like what is he going to keep? Joe Girardi? I personally hope he kicks him to the curb. But then who does he hire? Who in the world does he hire? And that'll be their third manager in 4 years. That's that feels like too many. You know, i but i'm eager to see what he does. Other changes he makes in the organization, what he does with uh on-field stuff cuz that's obviously an issue too. The Phillies defense has been atrocious at times. And it was also bad last year. So yeah.
0: So as we sit here again, and, and Liz, I wanna I wanna thank you for joining us, but the Phillies are seventy one and sixty eight. They have a significant chance to reach the playoffs. I want you to say three good things about the Philadelphia Phillies.
2: I will do that. It's not hard. The Philadelphia Phillies have a great offense. They have an offense that can hit, and when they're hitting, they're great. They beat the Brewers 12-0 recently. The Brewers are good. The Brewers are a great team. And they beat them 12-0, and that felt good to me. And so when they're hitting, to me, there's no team that's more fun to watch. But that's also because I like the Phillies a lot. Um, Zach Wheeler is great. I'm glad they signed him. And it's, I think, one of the best moves they've made I think in like five years, and that includes Harper and Real Muto. I think actually signing a significant, very good pitcher with a good track record and history is like a major game changer. They are nowhere without Wheeler this year. The guy they had in his place last year was Jake Arietta. So, or two years ago, whenever it was. Um, the Arietta experience has scarred me. I'm trying to block it out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Wheeler, amazing, important, very good, and a third thing. There's Pause. something I'm I'm thinking. Hold on,
0: come on. I'm
2: trying not to say the fanatic is awesome, uh, because everyone knows that. Yeah. Um,
0: I think it's a perfectly acceptable. Third thing,
2: <laughs> I, yeah. I was going to say, Ranger Suarez has been a, an absolute delight, a really pleasant surprise. I have been heartened to see his success both as a reliever and as a starter, because I figured that was gonna be a disaster. Uh just judging by history. Uh and it it has not been a a disaster and I am thrilled by that that one of those those sort of slightly experimental moves they've made actually worked out in their favor.
0: Well Liz, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your your love and not so much love for the <laughs> 2021 Philadelphia Phillies.
2: It's incapable for me to, to not both love <laughs> and hate my favorite teams in equal measure. It's just the way it is being a Philadelphia fan.
0: If you want to follow Liz on Twitter, she is at Liz Rocher, L-I-Z-R-O-S-C-H-E-R. Anything else I need to plug?
2: Uh, no. You, actually, you can read my writing on baseball and every other sport uh, five days a week at sports.yahoo.com. We've got great stuff. Come read us. ta
0: Thanks a lot for coming on, Liz.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: See you, Liz. podcast thanks to liz for coming on talking about the phillies our musical guest this week scalder you a big black metal fan eric nope <laughs> scalder is a melodic black metal band founded in late 2017 in northern virginia by guys with black metal musician names tommy emmanuel harry hogshead carrie vaughn and tommy farewell which is a great name uh lineup wrote and recorded five track demo EP before replacing guitarist Tommy Farewell with Brett Delaney. Not as good a name. Your name game dropped a little bit when you replaced Tommy Farewell with Brett Delaney. In pursuit of a darker, more threatening sound, Eric. The band recorded a final demo single at Trepon Studios. You know what Trepaning is? Have you ever read about Trepanine? No. Tell that's me. When, that's when people drill holes in their head in order to let the pressure and spirits out okay uh before launching on an aggressive schedule of live performances they met with substantial popularity scalder was hand selected to perform alongside international acts such as bane yellow eyes and venom in the winter of 2019 2020 they recorded their full debut full-length album which you are listening to tracks from on this show called scythe of our errors which was released on august 28, 2020 the album was recorded at Treppen studios featured art by adam burke They garnered it garnered highly positive attention, and the band was invited to perform at. Are you ready for this, Eric? Yes. Satan's Unholy Abomination Festival. Have you ever been to Satan's Unholy Abomination Festival? Nope, I haven't been, but I've always wanted to go. I, (laughs) I, the sex tent is my favorite part of the (laughs) abomination, though. (laughs) Satan's Unholy Abomination Festival, which was later canceled due to the pandemic, unfortunately. Scalder drives ever ahead, fueled by the fury and despair of our collapsing world. Okay. We needed black metal on the show. I'm glad that uh, a friend of uh, a friend of Scalder is a listener to the show. Got them in touch. And uh, we like to, to play a wide variety of music. I wish someone would send some hip-hop. I don't really have any connections in the hip-hop world. Um, if you have one, send them our way. Are you ready for your emails, Eric? Let's talk about black metal for a sec. Sure, go! So...
1: You know, it's the same way with sports, right? Like, you and I like <laughs> you and I like sports for different reasons. There are reasons people like to go to college football for the camaraderie of it, or they like to be wasted in the parking lot. Like, there are different reasons for doing it. We like to watch baseball because of the talent part of it that we appreciate. And that's okay. And you can like baseball or whatever for whatever reason, and I think that's fine. And I think music is the same way, like... I like I tend to like music with like cohesive uh unselfish guitar playing like I like The Strokes and I like The Smiths and I like The Clash songs where you know th- the musical components are kind of working together and metal for me is just loud and but what is it what is it that people are like getting from metal do you think is it just something that's lyrically driven or like what no, is it about i don't think it's it? lyrically
0: driven it's it's funny um uh kyle canane my favorite comedian has a great bit about metal fans <laughs> where he's like there's two types of metal fans and the first you i get and they're like the musicians of the world they're like you hear that bass that's a that's a that's a five string bass solo or hey that's a drop d tuning but he takes the g up half a step those people i understand um and often and they and, you know, and like black Metal can be like this it's you know it's a lot of distortion um uh, a lot of unconventional song structures and, and and unconventional rhythms and you can kind of appreciate the artistry about the metal fans who kind of fascinate me and interest me that i don't understand <laughs> which would be like the college football fans of sports right are and, and they're funny but they're the they're the metal fans who it's not about the music it's about the mythology <laughs> sure it's all of a sudden I Can't remember the count so I'm like well you know it's not about like the five you know the five string bass or the or the amazing guitar solo, or shredding, or that—it's about like I'm going to ride a dragon to Valhalla, you know? It's it's that guy. It's right. just you know, it's, it's it's kind of a different thing. And okay, um, yeah, black metal is just kind of harder and 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 a little faster, but also I kind of I gotta kind of pretty times appreciate this, and even like death metal stuff in the sense that sometimes that's it is you get interesting um, rhythms and structures and things like that.
1: And That seems to be if I were you know doing pattern recognition for your musical tastes that seems to be a big part of it for yeah
0: I, I tend to like like yeah janky stuff for sure um and yes but it's it's it is funny there are those weird metal people who just yeah it's basically like dungeons and dragons music for them and then sure. that's what, and, and they're into that and that's cool like what you like and, and like yep. it for the reasons you like it all right let's do emails can we talk about sports for a second yeah the next sumo tournament starts this weekend eric
1: all right. At what time? Very is, excited. Your, is this another Night Owl KG schedule then?
0: Only if it, no. I I, I, I watch it on tape delay and unless there's okay. a reason not to on the final day, um, which there very much was last tournament where you had um, one of the most historic matches of the last decade, really, uh, on the final day between Hakuho and Terunofuji, um, with Terunofuji shooting for, both of them shooting for a perfect 15-0 and tournament. Um, and Turner Fuji about to become the next Yokozuna and Hakuho being the, I think I've said, this made this analogy for the Wayne Gretzky of sumo, like not just broken records, but demolished them and set a new standard for everything. Um, and, and Hakuho won and it still might be his last match because he has pulled, he is, he's actually being forced to pull out of this tournament because, um, someone in his stable wrestlers have stables, um, where they train someone in his stable has said positive and they're not letting anyone oh. in the stable compete. Um, which is a little disappointing so we're gonna lose yeah. quite a few wrestlers um for this one and um so we'll see what happens but it, it'll be ter- it'll be Fuji's first tournament as a Yokozuna the new Yokozuna and he'll be the only Yokozuna in this tournament because Haku can't wrestle um but it should be a fun one and they're back in Tokyo
1: that's cool. Uh, I look Very forward to hearing, hearing about that. Football starts this weekend, too. That'll be... Didn't football already start? Oh, you're talking about professional football. Professional, yeah. Regular season football begins. Are you like an Eagles guy with your Philly background? No. Um, I like when the Eagles do well, but as with anything else, like I've always just been attracted to individual players. And so when I was young, I became a Carolina Panthers fan and remain one to this day because they had Kerry Collins who went to Penn State and is from Pennsylvania. Um, he was the first draft pick in franchise history, and I was in, like, first or second grade. And my family is almost entirely made up of, of Eagles fans. Uh, there are a couple of, like, dolphin bandwagoners in there. But, um, but uh, like, the Panthers were my own. It was an opportunity for me to have my own thing. And they were brand new, and they had Kerry Collins and Kevin Green, who looked like Hulk Hogan playing football. Uh, and their uniforms were sick, and I was into that. So uh, they had Tim Biakabatuka was a running back at the time, which I enjoyed saying.
0: Are they supposed to be good this year?
1: No, they will not. They're unlikely to be good this year. Um, they are in the relatively early stages of, like, new GM and coach. Uh, they have a, a reclamation project at quarterback, a guy who was a high pick by the Jets a couple of years ago. And the question is, like, is this guy bad or was his coaching and situation in New York bad? Um, so they're going to find that out this year with this guy named San Darnold. Um, and their defense is just like still small. The Panthers defense ha- has been bad for a couple of years and it's just very small. Um, so that's like another thing where most of their last two draft classes have been all defensive guys. And so like the progression of that young group of players is is sort of what I'll be watching for this year but it, mostly i just watch football because like i appreciate the individual you, athletic achievement that everyone is this had. is
0: this an every sunday thing for you like on sunday afternoon are you sitting down yeah. on the couch watching tv all day
1: yeah uh the two tv setup will just continue to come in handy and be a perpetual part of my all right and there,
0: there is some sort of nfl.tv kind of setup like you that's uh, where you can buy every game right
1: you can i don't do that like i don't have sunday ticket um I have access to the Red Zone channel, which is like the whip around show Mm -hmm. where they show the highlights in real time. And if like there's a big third down or fourth down play or a team is threatening to score, like you'll just go there. Um, But I like to watch. I like to sit and watch the a whole Eagles game or a whole Cardinals game. Like I'd like to sit and have a familiarity with the, the, the pace of football is its own thing. And when you're watching like the whip around highlight show, you kind of lose that part of it. Mm, and it just mm. feels like you're, you know, doing football cocaine for eight <laughs> hours. Um, I like to even it out. Like I like to, to have the time in between plays and see like the flow of a game. I like the boring three yard rush play and, um,
0: like, it just paces your Sunday in a way that suits me. Right. Um, yeah, I like having my fall Sunday is pretty free. Um, let's get back to emails. My football knowledge consists of the fact that, the and because I, I'm on Chicago Sports Radio a, a bit, is that the Bears have a rookie quarterback that they're not going to play, and everybody's mad about it. That's what I know. There you go. Uh, emails, chinmusic at fangrass.com. Send us emails. We like reading your emails. Our first email comes from Matt. Matt says, hello, Kevin, and I'm sure chatty co-host. Correct. Uh, Matt says, I love listening to your conversations on a weekly basis. They make my Friday nights delivering pizzas better. Matt, you're a hero in these days, and I hope everyone is tipping Matt very well. If you're getting food delivered, tip your people very well. And Matt says, my favorite team is the Cubs. So this is a Justin Steele question. I was looking at his scouting report, and everything says average or a tick above. However, his overall grade says 40. How does Scout say everything is a tick above but still concludes he's a below average pitcher? I'm sure all reports can be different and this is just one organization's opinion, but I guess I'm wondering about the process and how it came to be. Thanks for the pod and I look forward to the show. Uh, Justin, you missed one key grade on Justin Steele that was not 50 or tick above and that was Command, uh, which uh, right now says 40 on the Fangraphs page and that's why. Um, and if you've watched Justin Steele this year, and then I'm sure you have, you've seen he has really good stuff and very spotty command. I think he's walked about a guy every two innings so far this year. And um, and that's Justin Steele. And that's the thing. It's, it's, you know, with pitching, we can talk about stuff. And I still think it gets underrated. And I still think people don't talk about it enough, which is command. And, you know, we can get super extreme and talk about a guy like Jason Naborgal, who through 99 with literally an 80 slider and couldn't get out of a ball because he didn't have even 20 command and and like, it's great to have stuff you got to have something around it and so like not all of his grades his stuff grades might all be you know average or a tick above but it's the ability to harness them that really what's what makes a a pitcher a pitcher there are guys with you know just as good a weapons not that the guys have great weapons because he does as, as say you know max scherzer but it's what Max Scherzer can do with those in terms of of, of location and sequencing and, and and you know putting that pitch where he needs to that makes him so good. It's it's all about command at the end. That's kind of what makes bad pitchers good and good pitchers stars. Yeah. Um yeah, you know, Justin Steele's pitch grades on the site are
1: they're not all average or above. We have a 50 on the fastball and have the slider as above average, but the curveball and changeup both graded below that. The the overall grade at least that I'm trying to put on guys, is like if it's a 50 or above, then it's like an everyday player type, and I'm just trying to say how good. And then anything below a 50, I'm just trying to describe the role that the player is going to play. And so like a 40 is either a fifth starter or a lower leverage middle reliever, but one who stays on the roster. And that's good. Like just because it's a 40 doesn't mean it's a bad player. It's just – Uh, you know, the fact that a guy is in the big leagues at all is amazing. So, well, like a 40 on Justin Steele just means, hey, we think this is a middle reliever or a fifth starter. and But a consistent one who's like on the big league roster and not often being optioned unless it's uh, absolutely necessary. And that's still a, a good thing. And yeah. also like, you know, it's... Ultimately, you're right, the command piece of it and how guys weaponize their stuff is a huge, huge component. I was talking about David Price, this was, like, years ago, with, uh, it might have been Kylie, actually. Like, while Kylie was with the Braves, they had metrics to evaluate stuff, and David Price at that time was, like, one of the better pitchers in baseball, and it was just, like, a bunch of 55s, but it was a bunch of 55s and the ability to, like, utilize them in a way that, that max them out. So mm-hmm. you know uh, there, there are different pathways for anyone to get to their individual role. And we've seen it all the time. like Tiago Vieira is nothing at all, right? Marco uh, Mauricio Cabrera through 103, nothing yep. at all. Like there's just other stuff at play. Um, some of it is not even not even quantifiable, but of, like able, you can't evaluate it necessarily. like there's just something about the way hitters do or don't see the ball coming out of the hand of some pitchers that I think makes a huge, huge difference.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, Matt, I'm sure you've watched Justin Steele. Sure. a Cubs fan and Justin Steele looks exactly like what Eric just said. He looks like he's going to be a okay middle reliever, um, a low, lower leverage reliever. Um, the sliders real. can miss some bats, walks too many guys. And, uh, as you know, his fastball can get hit and he tends to throw a lot of meatballs with that fastball as well. Next email comes from John. John says, Congratulations. A distant uncle passed away, and you've inherited $5 million. You're ready to retire and love baseball. You decide to retire to a town with minor league baseball. Knowing what you know, what is the best minor league franchise with the nicest park? Where are you picking to move to? What matters when determining the best minor league franchise? man.
1: I, if we have to live in just, we're only going to one minor league franchise. Part mm. of the reason I would decide to live where I would live is because there would be a lot of that stuff going on, not just one team. Like I'd right. want to live in the triangle in North Carolina where you can it's a drive. Good, to, good call. Right. Like that's high on the list, Right, I would just live here, <laughs> you know, just probably somewhere like where Cliff Kingsbury lives or whatever, rather than right. in this exact house I'm living in near baseline road in Tempe. Uh, But if if I had to pick a single minor league franchise, and mind you that I haven't been to every big league or minor league park, but like I really think that maybe I'd live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, it's just like in -hmm. terms of facilities, it's the nicest minor league park I've been to. It doesn't have the quite the the skyline view that like the Charlotte Knights Stadium does. No, but you're talking Um, about the park. But yeah, I like I like the Iron Pigs ballpark. It's it's packed uh, almost every night. There have, there were more people at the Iron Pigs game that I went to earlier this spring when I rolled through the Northeast than have been at any of the Diamondbacks games I've been to all year. Uh, the food in the ballpark is great, especially the Ashucks corn. If you're ever in the, the Iron Pigs ballpark, the Ashucks corn is wraps around the the concourse, the like the foyer of the stadium. Basically, the line is always so long. Uh and yeah, it's it's a nice place to watch a game and I'd be living in uh in Bethlehem, which is a nice place. I guess I guess that one.
0: I I my first answer is if I had five million dollars and I could just go move somewhere, I'd move to Tokyo. Plenty of baseball.
1: Plenty of baseball.
0: And and would love to live in Japan and and I could go to sumo, um and Tulso Earth. And that's the thing. Like there it's it's if I could go to any town with a minor league with minor league baseball, I, I I think about things I would want to do beyond baseball as well, and I think I'd probably move to New York near the Brooklyn Cyclones. Cause that way I could live in New York and still have minor league baseball right there. That's also yeah. That sounds it's, pretty it, good too. <laughs> yeah, it's a real nice facility too. It's, it's a nice, it's a lovely stadium. It's a great setting. You can get um, your
1: artisanal grilled cheeses. In yeah, Brooklyn. exactly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I sold at fair trade prices. And um, but yeah, I would you know, probably do something like that. It, it, it's a you know I, there are nicer like I don't know if you've ever done any Pioneer League kind of but like those parks in Utah are breathtaking. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it, I don't know if I want to live in Utah. Um, in fact, I'm quite sure I don't. But like, that's there. It's gorgeous. It's unbelievably gorgeous. Um, I bet those underwear are cozy. Yeah. Do you live in Utah? Yeah.
1: Uh, um, but yeah, it's the same way. Like, you go up to the College of Southern Nevada, and you're like, "Wow, look at this view." Also, yeah. I'm in Vegas taint. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> no thanks. Our final email comes from Corey. This is going to get a little dark. And Corey says a question on a pretty heavy topic between Trevor Bauer, Marcelo Zuna, Starlin Castro, Jared Porter, Mickey Calloway, and probably more that I'm not remembering right now. It seems that there have been a ton of scandalous incidents that result in teams suspending or firing people this year. In the case of executives, I imagine that leads to some bumps in the road, but can be overcome by backfilling their spot with hires from the open market. But unfortunately, not so much different than what most companies that need a deal with replacing employees that need to be let go for whatever reason. With players, on the other hand, there is incredible demand for majorly quality players to go along with limited supply and stringent rules on who a team is allowed to hire and how they are allowed to do that. Not to mention most players, except for those with less than six years of service, are on guaranteed contracts for millions of dollars. My point is, replacing a player is very hard, and if the player is particularly skilled, failing to do so can potentially really impact the team's yearly earnings. My question is, how much do teams look into the personal lives of players before signing and or trading for them? Do major league teams just do the same super basic background check process, seemingly every other employer uses? Do those conversations happen at all? Obviously teams can't fully predict which players will end up being suspended for future illicit behavior. And there's a line at which investigating would be an invasion of privacy. But do things as simple as Trevor Bauer's a history of harassing people online come up in discussions on whether to sign him and or how much money to offer? Um, It's a good question, Corey. And the answer is is yes. Uh, Teams do do background checks. Teams also at times do more than background checks. Um, I can think of i won't uh name the player by name but something that i uh, was adjacent to was a player that was being considered as an acquisition target by these nastros who did have a criminal charge against him um and actually um found someone who knew that city's police department we were able to find out far much more about the charge and what was going on there um the ugly truth here is, and it's just, it, it's, you know, we, we have this conversation in a, in a, in a, not a more positive light, but I guess a less dark light when we talk about makeup is, um, and this is just an, an unfortunate truism, and it shouldn't be one, but it is. Um, and I think this goes directly to Trevor Bauer, which is the better the player is, the more you're going to put up with, and the more you're going to be able to, the more teams are, are going to be willing to kind of brush aside. Um, you know, I think if you had a, a 4A pitcher looking for a minor league deal in January who had Trevor Bauer's background. There are teams that would say I'm out. Um,
1: right. Like but, Josh
0: Lukey's just pitching in Mexico. Like Josh Lukey's just pitching in Mexico. Josh Lukey, if you don't know, is, is, is a rapist um, who unfortunately did get a chance from the Rays at one point. It was embarrassing. Um, right. Cause it was known what he had done before they acquired him. It was well known. Um, and he uh, was the
1: GM of that team? at the time
0: that would be the current Dodgers GM correct oh, oh connections are made in my head um and so but I mean, like I said like it's, it's 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 unfortunate but like the the better the player is um the more teams are willing to put up to them and it's um I, it, it does seem to be changing I, you know I obviously um you know, the Astros acquired Roberto Asuna. It was a horrible thing to do, and but Roberto is in Mexico right now pitching and pitching very well, and I don't think his phone's ringing at all. Um, and so, you know, I do think things are changing, and I think a lot of that is from public pressure, and, and I think public pressure can be a good thing, and I, and I hope it keeps up. Um, but yes, teams do look into personal lives of players before citing trading them. Um, you think about, like, even in the draft, um, teams sit down with players and have someone interview them sometimes it's a scout but for the big players they often have have their you know their their mental skills person or whoever that is talk to them and, and also look into their background and and sometimes it is precursory stuff such as looking at their twitter history i can think of a player who um definitely fell in the draft because of his twitter history yep um you know i could think of more than a few um because of their twitter history um and things that they liked and tweeted about um particularly about guns and wanting to kill a certain group of people um And so it does get looked at, um, but again, like you said, like often talent does kind of, unfortunately, trump everything and and people are willing to put up with more if guys are really good.
1: There's also going to be a lag between what our culture decides is important and acceptable or not, especially in the social media space. And the way people who work for teams who are busy, you know, running the team and not constantly, like, refreshing their – or, like, getting a new software install onto, like, the levels of cultural acceptability. Like, basically, this isn't necessarily forgiving certainly any of the specifics that we've talked about so far, but I at least have some sympathy, like – With, like, Josh Hader's situation, okay? Let's say Josh Hader were...
0: Tweeted something real dumb when he was 16.
1: When he was 16. So, if you're an executive for the Baltimore Orioles thinking about drafting Josh Hader, at that point, do you even know what the hell Twitter is? Like, probably not. So, like, there is just going to be some amount of lag between, like... Here's another one for you, like... There was a player who some of the area scouts thought that they could hide, that not all the teams were actually on this prospect before the draft, not like a significant famous guy, just like someone the scouts kind of liked who they wanted for 125K or whatever. They were trying to devise ways of knowing what other teams were actually on the player or not. And for some of the people, it was very easy because they could just go to the players' social media and see what scouts from other teams were following their Instagram and who Mm -hmm. was not. Like, if the scout's following the guy on social media, it's likely that he's on that player. Yep. Uh, And the ones who weren't, that those are teams who you could more reasonably omit from like, all right, would this team realistically do this, you know? And as you're doing math in the room you can see who could conceivably sign the player or not. Um, Like the idea that that could be used as a tool at assessing that type of thing was totally foreign to one of the scouts who I was talking to. So like what certain people view as acceptable or unacceptable behavior, like they're probably just people in front offices who believe that Trevor Bauer has a right to defend himself on Twitter uh, and that what he's, they don't have like an idea. It has to be explained to them like, no, actually, there's a difference in the power dynamic here. Like, this guy's got millions of followers, and this other person does not. So even though they're being shitty to one another, the, the balance here isn't one-to-one. Like, And I also think that having to explain that mostly to old dudes, uh, some of them will hear that and go, Oh, I get it. Yeah, that is pretty bad. Uh, you know, that someone's being harassed weeks later by his sycophant, you know, Twitter followers or whatever. Uh, and like the dynamics of how those people got that way is is a whole other podcast that I'd love to do at some point. Talk about like how people get to be this way mm-hmm. uh, where they'll just like, yeah, like let's shit on women for Trevor Bauer. What? Like, yeah, he'll like no, me. He'll, very he'll, maybe it's, he'll it's, be my friend. Like, It's what? like the
0: people you see who like say something shitty to you and you go look at their their. I shouldn't do this, but I do you look at their Twitter timeline and you're like, man, 80% of you is just retweet is tweeting at or or retweeting and supporting something Barstool did.
1: Right. Yeah. Where these circles of the Venn diagram overlap is like significant. Fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, what is it? It's like the Gamergate stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like sort of come to our shores more recently. But yeah, like, yeah, fandom I know is dis- uh,
0: intense fandom is a disease.
1: I know of teams who have sent people to, like, stalk draft prospects for a week at a time because they thought they had questionable character, right? Like, it's – there is – depending on the the profile, the nature of the acquisition, uh, there are times, yeah, when, like, it is a very intense process. And then there are some other times where stuff would have seemed obvious, and I think some of the the examples – Put forth in the email are on the nose, like where there's a lot of smoke, and you should have seen that there's likely to be fire here and not done anything. And then also, sometimes people change. So, here's a football example for you: Callias Campbell was a defensive lineman coming out of the University of Miami. Before he was picked, it was this guy might fall because of makeup stuff, this guy might fall because of makeup stuff. He's like one the NFL's man of the year like his philanthropy work the the person he's grown into basically is dramatically different than the one he was at age 2021 20, mm-hmm. and like the, we should probably come up with a way to leave room for people to do this societally to people to rather change. than yeah. just shame them like some of it I agree like I'm not saying like let's give you know uh alleged sexual abusers another chance but I also think like ultimately they're fucked up in ways that they can't control and we have to have some recourse societally to deal with that and yes that applies to the legal system and also probably applies to like our broader cultural discourse because i think a lot of the people who would otherwise be reasoned with on one issue or another whether it's some of the stuff we've just talked about or like wearing a fucking mask like to just shame them and make them feel dumb is is not the path forward like it's not making anything better to do that no matter how justified you think you are in doing so like it's just not making it any better we're just inching closer and closer to violent conflict probably and some of it is because of the tone we're creating with like how sanctimonious we are
0: i was considering saying something i'm not um yeah at the same time wear a mask people yeah uh (laughs) god damn it um but you know, I think Josh Hader's a really good example. I, like Josh Hader tweeted something like real dumb, real offensive when he was sixteen, um, and I don't think Josh Hader's like that now. And I think people can change and 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 obviously mature from they were sixteen. Everyone think about what you what you were like when you were sixteen, because you know what oh you were God. an you were an asshole.
1: Yeah. Um. You no,
0: know, I guarantee that for ninety nine percent of you. And so, um, you know, I, I do think there's a there are some things that don't have a statute of limitations. And I, I think Trevor Bauer's behavior is one of those things, but I think there's, there's some things that do. And and I think people can, you know, like bad saying, as opposed to an actual act, like saying something dumb, like what Josh Hader did, I think does is something that, you know, especially just because of the time of it, like is something where, you know, I don't think that she, that people should think that's what Josh Hader is.
1: Yeah. I, I, that makes sense to me like there has to be some contrition there has to be some understanding mm-hmm. of like you have to exhibit growth uh, but that can only occur if there's room for that allowed you know like right, it's yeah. just it won't be and again like i think i want everyone to wear a mask but i think the path is like convincing people that compassion for the well-being of others is more important than like, hey, I know this is uncomfortable on your face, like getting people to see that is the thing that you, is challenging. But the way of like calling people dumb is not—it's clearly not working. Like, it just isn't working. Yeah, it's think, actively
0: making things worse. Yeah, and I, I be mean, like
1: horse dewormer, you fucking <laughs> morons. Like, yeah,
0: but why well, think
1: you do? It's not, it not working.
0: I think they, they, like the forcing is what's going to work in the sense. That, I mean, you saw it happen today. Um, where it looks like the the it's going to it's going to affect. I, I think I read eighty million workers. The labor department's going to force any company with over hundred employees to mandate vaccines. Or and if they and for people who are not don't have vaccines, they have to be tested once a week. And companies aren't going to pay for that, so they're going to force vaccines.
1: And that's a policy thing that will be turned into a cultural like it'll be
0: sure but the end of the end result will end up with you know tens of millions more people with vaccines because they have to keep their jobs
1: right sure Um, uh but that's not it'll and it'll be practically it is let's make it so less of our citizens die mm -hmm. but culturally it will not be
0: broadcast that way no you're right um well that's it for emails on that dark note uh, if you want to send us an email, make it fun, make it dark. Uh, we accept all all all, all entries. Uh, chinmusic at fangraphs It's time to catch up with you, Eric. You've had an eventful couple of weeks. I guess so. I, it's certainly
1: more more so than during the the height of the pandemic. Although, like our seven day rolling average for cases in Arizona is at about three thousand, so uh, that's that's been climbing for the last little bit. But yeah, I. You know, we had um, – I've been on a couple of trips lately basically to visit family. I saw uh, my extended family in Richmond, Virginia. I stayed at the Commonwealth Hotel right outside the Capitol building where they had like all of the, the barricades and the construction equipment that they were using to take the Oh the wow. Ro- yeah. Robert E. Lee statue down. So I kind of like was around that for several days and there was nobody else there. Like nobody seemed to care. It just sort of happened. Uh, yesterday, uh, after I got back, it was all over the news. But like in, as things were in the process of it happening, there was like literally nobody there. There were just people going by on Segway tours, mm-hmm. and that was sort of it. Um, so yeah, I spent a couple of days in Richmond, Virginia. Got to see my extended family. Made all of these plans during like the nadir of cases in the middle right. of the summer, thinking that things would be okay. And definitely, you know, like was a little less comfortable than. Uh, I was during the summer about like being on a plane and and being even uh, like the wedding was outside um, nice. and like my grandma wasn't there because she won't get a vaccine um, and so my cousin Emily presumably had a pretty difficult conversation with my grandma at some point and was like hey you can't come to this so so did
0: they is that did they go that route was it like hey if you're coming to the wedding you got to be uh, vaccinated it seems that way I didn't like hear that from the horse's
1: mouth because and was kind of busy on the day, and I'm so far removed from everybody being yeah, 3,000 sure. miles away that, like, I didn't even know they were planning to get married last year and then pushed it. Um, and I didn't even know until I was home in July to see everybody for the first time since like 2019, basically, um, that she had picked a new date and that things were going off. Like, mm-hmm. she and she didn't know that I moved, you know?
0: Right, right, Like, so
1: that's why I didn't get in. Like, so there's just been a communication lag, and so it seems that way, but also, like, my dad was there, so unless he got the jab and didn't tell me, uh maybe that's not true, but, like, I think that my dad maybe got the vaccine, even though he's, like, you know, an OAN Newsmax flat earther, like, you know, th- so that's is a good really thing, a fl- I wait, Is he
0: really a flat earther?
1: He went through a phase... <laughs> I don't know if he still is or not, but yeah, there was a stretch there where, yeah.
0: and He, he at least got to the point where he's like, oh,
1: it makes you think.
0: Moon landing, conspiracy
1: stuff, like all that stuff,
0: dude. Wow. Like,
1: again, this is, I mentioned this last time I was on with you. Maybe it was just on the phone. Maybe it was on the pod. But like, my dad has an associate's degree from a community college and that's it. And that's
0: because of serious. the way the I world only, worked.
1: I, I only have a high school diploma. Right. But like, because of the, they, what I'm saying is it's reasonable that a guy of his education who's still done really well for himself because of the way the economy worked in like the late nineties, basically, uh, Mm -hmm. he wields a certain economic power without having some of the educational prereqs. And he wasn't taught about how the internet was going to be in the early eighties. Like that wasn't a thing that was imparted to him. And so it makes sense to me that he's had a hard time sifting through what is and isn't bullshit in 2021. Like Alex Jones just has better production value than Walter Cronkite ever did. And that, like, gets my dad, you know? And, like, it's not his fault necessarily. It's frustrating, and I don't know what to do about it. But yeah, it seems someone at least maybe got to him because. Like, my aunts and uncles were just like, yeah, I think your dad got got vaxxed. So, yeah, like, my grandma wasn't there because she didn't. But at least she was clear-headed enough to know that she shouldn't be there because she hasn't gotten one. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Oh, So, I came home, and then I felt snotty. Oh, no. Uh, And, you know, like, I'm allergic to my cats and just sort of tolerate it, basically. And the more I'm around them, the like, my tolerance goes up. And Mm -hmm. coming home from Mm -hmm. a trip uh with the weather change here in Arizona maybe meant that it was just allergies i didn't feel crummy other than just having kind of like a runny nose um i took a covid test it's negative and started my allegra ladies i take allegra for my allergies <laughs> um and i feel fine now so i good I good good between the negative covid test and the um the allergy meds having an impact on my physical well-being like i feel pretty confident that i'm okay to, to go see Kyle Kinane next week. I'm so <laughs> um, jealous. Stan Hope and Kinane, I think within a week I'll, I'll, both see and wow. Like taxi driver plays a 35 millimeter at the, at the theater down the street. So like, that's some of the stuff that I've planned other than like going to see baseball, but I didn't go see the Rangers and D backs yesterday, even though I wanted to, just cause I'm still like, you know, I came home from a flight a couple days ago and I'm just like, mm-hmm. not going to go do that. And then what's going on work wise. Uh, Started to lay the foundation for off-season lists. Got to pull the graduates off the board over the last couple of. And we have a Monday meeting on this. Yeah, and we'll start like outlining off-season list schedule and stuff. Um, Brendan Golowski and I hopped on the phone for an hour yesterday to talk through uh, KBO guys. So um, you and I will sit and do some international stuff, and mm-hmm. we'll go through like MPB names and. Anyone who needs to be added to the international player list on the board, we'll we'll start first. We'll update our draft lists and then we'll get into uh, the team list. So we'll have like a nice kickoff of team list season with an updated international list and updated draft class stuff. And then we'll get into the team by team stuff. And I think, you know, it's going to be smart for you and I to sit and anyone who's still prospect eligible who has been in the big leagues or at triple A, is I think who will evaluate first across all of the entire sport uh, to kind of give us some nice baseline for putting the younger guys betwixt in between those uh, like mm-hmm. FV tiers basically when it comes time to do that in the next few weeks. And we'll start with um, – we're just having our meeting now basically, by the way. the I good. think it will be smart for us to start with teams that don't aren't going to do instructs uh, and who don't have high-priority fall league names because there will just be less to learn about those orgs.
0: They're already they're, they're already be locked in a bit.
1: Right, they'll just sort of be locked in. So to start with those team lists, I think is will be the way to go. I'm still trying to source Florida Instructional League schedules. I have the tentative schedules for all the teams in Arizona. Um, it does not seem as though the Mariners are going to play any – instructs games which is typical for them right uh the diamondbacks are not on like i've got an east valley schedule that has the cubs and the the uh like angels and stuff on it but the d-backs aren't on there so uh the d-backs maybe are not doing instructs games for the first time okay um but i haven't gotten really any florida schedules yet it sounds like covid is looming in a more
0: it is significant
1: way in florida that is you know people are trying to decide if they should have instructs at all. Maybe they'll push them in January. We don't know.
0: Yeah, there are some people talking about pushing it back. There are people talking about not yeah. having it. Um, the Astros are going to do what they have done, uh, not even before there was a pandemic, and that is just they have instructs, but they don't participate uh, with any other teams.
1: Right, they just do uh, intra-squads. They
0: do, and, and even the intra-squads um, during my time, were, stuff. were rare. It was mostly, like, it was mostly just, yeah, just real work on the field and not a lot of game stuff. Yep, um, but, that's I, how it but I have heard other. I've I've heard. I mean, I've talked to some teams in Florida who are just still flat out, which is shocking on September 9th, if We're not sure yet.
1: Yep, it's um, you know, like for me, I'd like to go. I'd like to to fly to Tampa and then just do an L, like do a down run. the Gulf Coast. My mom lives in Port Charlotte. My uncle lives in Fort Myers, and then I'll make a left turn and like go to West Palm. But if the Cardinals. The Cardinals have either not done instructs or pushed it to January the last couple of years. Right. Um, and you mentioned Houston. So, like, Miami and Washington, well, I, I assume we'll no do bets. something with the Mets. Uh, I don't know if that's quite enough of a reason for me to drive across the state. But I at least want to do, like, the the Gulf Coast run from Tampa through Fort Myers.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, yeah, I've been bugging. <laughs> People listening to this podcast right now. Some of them who work for teams will tell you, like, yeah, I've been People's ass for Florida instruct schedules for like the last week and a half and have gotten nothing. Uh, they just seem so far behind in, in planning it, and it does seem like COVID is, is a huge part of why.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we did, we do have an Arizona Fall League this year,
1: right? And I know some of the individual players have been notified that they're going to go. I haven't sat and thought, like, who are logical. Roster includes
0: for Fall League like Yeah I think it's going to be interesting To see how teams play that one this year actually yeah. and, and especially I imagine you won't see a single pitcher Who has pitched the whole year I think almost every pitcher will be someone who missed some time Or didn't get a lot of innings or, or anything like that Because teams have been so so conservative And understandably so yeah. and In a way that I agree with um, In terms of their, their managing innings this year
1: Yeah I'm trying to think of who Like Braylon Marquez hasn't thrown all mm-hmm. year but he's also on a, on a Dominican Winter League roster, so like, there's that option too.
0: Right, he'd probably um, rather go there because the money.
1: Right. Um. Yep, that's true. So yeah, I don't have any like name. I don't. No one's even floated me like a big name who will be at Fall League. But um, I think we might do like a small FanGraphs Fall League trip, so um, people can come down and. I don't know if we're going to do like a reader event or anything like that. I know mm. I'd like to do some sort of book signing at some point. Like I just have four boxes of books just sitting in my house mm. still. <laughs> I really like to do a book signing. You know, it will just be all vaxxed or whatever. But right, um, so that, you know, I'm going to have dozens of people breathing on me uh, and my Sharpie. So it should it should probably be all vaxxed. I want to do it at the – there's a movie theater close to me. It used to be an Alamo draft house that would like filed for bankruptcy during the pandemic they sued alamo to try to get out of their lease and now they're rebranding as majestic um and they've been majestic theater for like the last three days (laughs) no i just walked by the one day and all of the alamo letters on the marquee were just gone um and the woman who does like the programming there is my like pokemon go buddy so uh, do you still play I didn't play for quite a while and I just re downloaded recently because oh, did
0: I still have it on my phone because so I haven't opened it forever.
1: Yeah, I ran out of space and deleted it at some point. Um, but, like, um, but yeah, when, when Halloween time rolls around and all the ghost Pokemon are out, like, I'm in. That's why <laughs> I like to play. Like, that's I, I want to catch them all and that's all I want to do. I don't want to do any of the other stuff that the game tells me to do, but at some point, you have to do that stuff. Right. And it became more of the game than what I wanted to do, which is just, like, have a complete set and be done. And uh, I, like, can't – the hamster wheel is moving too fast. Like, I really can't do that. So I'm going to try again here, but, but I think mostly I'll just, like – I like my ghosty Pokemon. So that will be what I, what I work on for the next couple of weeks, and then I'll reassess, I guess.
0: That's your Pokemon Go Minute with Eric. It's uh, time for a moment of culture. What do you got?
1: What have I been watching? Travel. I don't know. Culture stuff. Uh, I mentioned football starting. I'll be doing that. That's not Uh, culture. uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything, I don't think. (laughs) I told myself to prepare for this too. and, And I haven't. There's nothing really ringing out that I've exposed myself to since I've last been on that I feel like recommending to people. I watched the Dennis Nielsen documentary on, on Netflix. Um, talk about that. It was good. I liked it. I thought it was, it was different tonally. Yes. In a way that separated it from a lot of the <laughs> serial killer docs that <laughs> we watch.
0: Um, and so for those who don't know, uh, Dennis Nielsen was a serial killer in England um who in the late 70s and early 80s uh killed at least 12 um young men and boys um all of who were living um destitute lives in
1: London, on the basically. fringes
0: of society yeah um a lot of a, a lot of them were hustlers um and and um and he would give them you know a warm meal and a place to sleep and kill them um and often obviously also employed them for their their, for sex work and um but you're right the the interesting kind of tack this documentary took was just that like he got away with doing this for five years because no one cared about these people um there are still several victims who have never been identified um yeah and these a lot of these are just people who kind of to the people, to their families, people they love just kind of went missing and never got reported or anything like that because they were so, you know, they were troubled kids and they went away and that was the last they heard from, them, but they didn't like call the police or anything like that because they weren't surprised by it. Right. Um, you know, and and it's kind of that. And so it was it was more than just kind of like your your standard lurid uh, serial code documentary. It was, it was more taking that time that he got away with this because no one cared about these people.
1: Right. And this is also like a consequence of heteronormative society like Dennis Nielsen is gay but was taught to suppress that and that was bad. To hate
0: himself for it.
1: And hate himself for it, yeah. And then that sort of started to, I mean, some of that bubbled out in his murders basically. And it's unfortunate, but like one of the cinematic devices that makes the doc so chilling is that this guy sat in prison and recorded himself like going back through a lot of this stuff.
0: Yeah, he's got like a chocolatey
1: voice. Oh yeah, and so yeah, it definitely like adds something to the doc that makes it more watchable and interesting. But it is also kind of macabre to hear this guy recount some of this stuff in 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 a pretty cold fashion a lot of the time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, going about his business. It's
0: like yeah, he, he would talk about picking someone up and killing them the same way you and I would talk about what we made for lunch today right yeah um the movie called memories of a murder uh the nilson tapes and is on netflix it's good um i'm gonna talk about a movie but also more importantly talk about a service um that we've discussed before on the show um and that is the criterion channel i know everyone's you know or, or most everyone's paying their um whatever their are 14 10 to 15 dollars a month for netflix their uh Five to fifteen dollars a month for Hulu. Um, I know some people are paying for things like Paramount Plus, and uh, everyone has their their MLB <sighs> HBO, TV, HBO yeah. Max, their MLB TV. We all pay for a lot of streaming services. Um, and one I cannot recommend enough is the Criterion channel, uh, which I think is actually pretty cheap i think it's 99 bucks a year maybe it's i i got it i got it in a good price i got it in early it might be a little more than that um but it's the same price as all these other things and it's filled with films you probably maybe haven't heard of and certainly ones i've not heard of and, and also like really great and famous art house movies and interesting independent films and i've yet to watch a bad movie on it and sometimes we just like pick a movie that and it has like lots of really good classics and and, and lots of good modern stuff and and um, at times we just kind of look there and and read the description and like, I've never heard of this. This this sounds good. And it's great. And, you know, we did that, you know, this week when we picked a a movie called La Piscine, which is the swimming pool in French, 1969 French film um, about a a beautiful couple on a beautiful vacation uh, in the South of France. Um, And uh, one of their dear friends shows up to visit and there's, there's some tension there. And he also brings his beautiful 18 year old daughter. And there's some tension there. Uh, discovered as kind of like body heat meets Lolita. And you don't know okay. if you don't know if someone's going to die or if these two are going to have sex with each other. And at times both happen. Um, and it's just like this and, it, and at, at the same all time still like oozing with like late sixties, French coolness. Um, and uh, yeah, it's these kinds of, things. I'd never heard of this film and it's, you know, it was great. And it's, it's, and there's so many good things that you, 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 you know, I remember when like HBO Max launched, and everyone was excited because HBO Max announced that they were going to have all these like you know in theater movies that will be streaming on HBO Max. So you don't have to go to the theater, um, and these are all big movies and and big blockbuster movies. I haven't watched one of them, um, and these are such that's, that's such better stuff here, and and I, I can't recommend the service enough.
1: I I f- think in general when you're sitting down to watch something what is like how do you and margaret go about it because there i do think that like to just have sports and the criterion channel would be enough like you could just kind of put on whatever Mm -hmm. criterion thing at random and it's going to be better than like you talking yourself into circles and then watching the second jurassic park
0: again you know what i mean yeah that's what we never do and like you know so we always have a couple shows we're watching and some are Garbage like Love Island UK, or you know, there's a new season of The Circle on Netflix, which we're gonna, which we're watching, and and you know, and sometimes you just like I need something light and easy, and then and, and and I'm not in the mood to really be serious here and think, and you know, we're just gonna put on The Circle and look at our phone intermittently during it and whatever, um, and then you know there's tends to always be, um, for lack of a better term, there's always a murder show in the queue somewhere. We're currently watching a yeah. documentary on Showtime called Murder in the Bayou, which has has some actually um adjacency to the one we just talked about since this was in a small town louisiana um and and over a course of i think three years eight women were killed and they all you know it was a sign it's not, it's unsolved to this day but it was also it was all kind of like assigned to a serial killer but there's clearly something much more going on all eight of these women um were not only you know in the fringes of of the world and 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 with real drug problems and prostitution things like that but they also all knew each other they, all, they were in this running around the same circle this is like a town of ten thousand people right and um and so we're watching that there's easy, always kind of a, a an easy loose show involved there's always a murder show in the queue um but then there's also like hey let's just watch a movie tonight and then we just pick something and and usually it's something it's never it's certainly never like a comic book movie or anything like that i still haven't seen any of those and not a one i, I saw the Other joker movie some... does that count joker which is uh, not good probably by the way not yeah um which is kind of a Really, I liked
1: the I liked the cinematography in Joker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, no, was gorgeous. And I like um, Sam Meril. And, <laughs> and the sound was great, and and it was and it was and it, yeah, it was beautiful. But like the movie itself was kind of abhorrent, and um, so yeah, that, that's that, that tends to how we how we run the queue. And then I obviously starting Sunday, um, nightly Sumo. Um, it's good to have something to lean on that you know you're going to watch at least every
1: night. I think that my brain is just ready to do lists again. And so I, I I don't think that it'll be allowed to (laughs) engage in any sort of
0: culture. (laughs) So I think we're done here, Eric. All right. I want to thank you for coming into the co-host seat once again. Well, thanks for having me. I love doing it. And uh, thanks to Liz Rocher for coming and talk about the Phillies. Thanks to the black metal goodness that is Scalder from Northern Virginia. for allowing us to play the music on the show. Uh, We will talk to you next week and thanks for listening everybody.